Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's so great to see you. So great to be here today. Great to be in church. Welcome everybody in person or listening online later this week or by podcast. Hey, I wanted to just uh, pause and appreciate everybody who helped with our harvester's food drop yesterday. Yesterday was a hot one in the sun, uh, but we had a ton of people help. Yeah, hey, wait, wait, just a second for this. Uh, we, that was our biggest food drop yet. We filled this parking lot, that parking lot out in the street. Uh, 167 seniors, 454 kids, 616 adults. It was 1,237 people that we served yesterday, so thanks to everybody who did that. That was great. So love that we did that. Uh, We're moving on in our series in Romans chapter 8 today, going verse by verse through Romans 8, not hovering over it, getting into specific words, getting into specificities, diving into this chapter, and um, I got to tell you before we get into this one today, Uh, I have no idea how to introduce this sermon. Uh, I wrote an introduction earlier this week, then I found it was really unhelpful, did a different introduction last night at five, really didn't like that, Um, so I've just taken that page out of my notes, and there's no introduction today. I want to just get into the first part of this thing. I'd rather not say it than say something unhelpful, right? So if you look on your notes with me... uh, This quote from J.I. Packer, I'll start there from his book about knowing God. He says, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as a father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. And after reading that, I just brainstormed about nine or ten Bible verses that came to mind that say we are a child of God. Words from the Apostle John, words from the Apostle Peter, words from the Apostle Paul, words from Jesus himself like Matthew 6, 9, where he says, this is then how you should pray. They asked Jesus how to pray. He says, you start our Father in heaven. And another verse in uh, John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Another verse here, Matthew 5.9, we're getting the Beatitudes. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that, we did not, is that it did not know Him. 2 Corinthians 6, 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Galatians three twenty six. so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. First John 5, 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. 
And then in Luke 15, 11 through 32, the most famous parable that Jesus ever taught is the prodigal son, about his son going off and trying to find his own way and basically losing his life, losing all his bearings, coming back, the father running out to meet him, throwing a party that he has returned, that this person has come back to the father. And how big of a deal is it to you that God is your heavenly father? And I think why just introducing this topic, getting into this topic is difficult because we all have different kinds of relationships with our fathers and some of those relationships are more difficult than others. And I read this week that nationwide, the most attended church day of the year, after Easter, after Christmas, third place most attended is Mother's Day. But the least attended church day of the year nationwide is Father's Day. It's just fascinating, the disparity. Um, and I don't know where that lands in Rockbrook. I haven't, I haven't looked at that. My hope would be that Father's Day is not the least attended, that we have fathers who want to go to church and are leading their families and that that's not a hang-up, that that's not a difficult day to go to church. But for many people, it is. Thinking about their fathers is difficult. Hearing a sermon about God being a father is difficult because of their relationship with their fathers. And it's we just have a longing for that relationship to be a certain way. And when it's not a certain way, it, there's a brokenness. And after reading all these verses, I'll just ask you, if you were the enemy and you wanted to mess with people's view of God, who would you attack? What would you attack? If you were the enemy, if you were Satan and you wanted to break people's relationship with God, if you wanted to distort people's view of God, what would you do? And it's no accident that fatherlessness and struggles with our earthly fathers have plagued humanity because the enemy knows that if he can get us to despise our relationship with our earthly father, or if he can get us to struggle in our relationship with our earthly father, that we will struggle in relating with God and knowing God. But our Christian faith at its core is coming under, submitting to, revering, living in relationship with a perfect Father. And here we get to Romans 8 verse 14 where we've been walking through this chapter and we've seen that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We've seen that the Spirit of God can lead us. And today is very simple. It's four verses and then there's four thoughts or four points from each of those verses but let's read the chapter or the the section as a whole it says for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba father the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's look, and I want you to notice this phrase in here. The Spirit you received brought about 
your adoption. I want to talk about just that one line for a moment before we get to the points. The Holy Spirit, Paul is writing that the Holy Spirit you received is a spirit of adoption. Paul is writing this to the people in Rome and in the Roman culture at that time and that day, uh, they would have understood this. It was very common for a couple of things to happen. One, it was common for orphans to wander the streets and hope that someone would bring them in and someone would adopt them. It was common for dads to just discard their kids, uh, for dads to say, I don't want this person to be my child, to be my son or daughter. And if you were an orphan, you longed for someone to adopt you and choose to bring you into their family. Now, in Rome, if you were a wealthy individual who did not have an heir, who did not have a, a son, uh, you might even look for an orphan child to bring in, and that adoption was very beautiful. But in the Greek, this adoption would also be referring, or this child would also be referring to like an adult son. And in the Roman Empire, when a wealthy Roman wanted to bestow top honors on someone, could be... Uh, a slave trying to pay off a debt or a servant trying to uh, just be somewhere at least where they could live. And, but that wealthy person would officially adopt that person as an adult into his family. And that person, when they were adopted, got all the rights, all the privileges, in many cases may even become the head of that household and in charge of the children who are biologically born into that family. And when a person was adopted, back when the New Testament was written, it meant they were brought into full status immediately, full rights. Essentially, all your debts were forgiven, everything in your past erased, brought in, made new. It's as if you were born again and you were brought into this family and now an heir to them. And your name was changed. Everything was different. So an orphan wandering the streets, growing up, selling yourself into slavery just so that you could eat and make a way and take care of yourself, maybe pay off the debt that you owed to someone, growing to an adult, you dreamed that someone someday would adopt you. And the Apostle Paul says, this is exactly what God called you to. He looked at you and loved you. He changed you. You became his heir. He went after you. Now you're his adopted son, adopted daughter. Now you might say, because if you look in the passage here, this is the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And might, some might just ask, well, is this just, like, is this just for sons of God? Is this just for men? But the Apostle Paul is saying that everyone who receives this spirit is brought into full rights. So he's saying how this might how be in your culture that it's just for the sons or sonship, but he's saying everyone who believes, everyone who receives this, everyone who comes under this, everyone who receives the Spirit and is led by the Spirit receives being a child of God and receives full rights. How beautiful. And in the Roman culture at this time, being an adopted child, uh, some have written that it was even better than being a biological child because if you were adopted, it means that you could not be discarded. The father went out for you, after you, paid for you, brought you in. And so 
This is, this is a mic drop moment. This is a big moment in Romans 8 of Paul telling this is the Father's love for you. This is how much God is for you. We were spiritual orphans and God loved us and received us. And we did not achieve the spirit of adoption. Friends, people say, you know, it's a miracle that I accepted Christ into my life. And my response generally to that, not to be rude, but it's just to say, friend, it's actually a miracle that God accepted you into his life. The miracle is not that I accept Jesus. The miracle is that Jesus accepts me. Amen, somebody. And so it, he's, he's coming into this, and it's not as if when you became a Christian, God said, whoa, I didn't think that was going to happen. It's not as if God was just shocked and saying, man, I didn't expect that. And why I'm saying this is because the spirit you received, this is not a spirit that you achieve. You did not achieve your adoption. You received your adoption. When I came to Christ and gave my life to Christ, it wasn't if God says, oh my goodness, wow, was not planning for that. I'm going to have to write Ryland's name in the margin of the book of life because I didn't leave enough lines. I didn't leave enough room. No, I didn't live up to this. I didn't achieve it and surprise anybody. I didn't go to a tryout. I didn't go to a casting call. I didn't make a really great LinkedIn page and God saw it and decided to receive me. God wasn't hiring ZipRecruiter to go out and find adopted children of God. God loved you and you received the spirit of adoption. You did not achieve it. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? These four verses tell us what it means to be a Christian. You might ask, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means you are an adopted child of God. And as an adopted child of God, number one, if you're taking notes, he leads you. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, before becoming a Christian, you can be led by all different kinds of things. Uh, this is why the world is led in so many different directions, because it's led by so many different kinds of things. Before becoming a Christian, you can be led by peer pressure. Uh, the pressure of the people around you, the pressure of the people in your school, in your class, the pressure of the culture of your college. You can be led by the pressure, the peer pressure of your workplace, of the cultural emphasis of the day. You can be led by peer pressure. You can be led by the world's standards. Uh, you can be led by your own wisdom and your own understanding and what you believe and know to be right. You can be led by um, some psychology book or led by some author. You could be led by guilt. Many people are driven and led by guilt their entire life. People can be led by all different kinds of things. But now that I'm a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that I'm looking to God to be led. I'm looking for his wisdom. I'm looking for his guidance. He's my commander in chief and I'm looking to him for God. What do you want me to do? Now, this doesn't mean that we get to walk around with um, like a hotline to heaven and God makes all our decisions for us and then we've just got to decode what they are. Uh, no, I, even the Apostle Paul did not have a hotline to heaven in that kind of way. 
In fact, there's a moment in Paul's life in ministry where he was confused about God's will for his life. And, and he thought uh, he was supposed to go to Asia at a specific time and place, and the door closed on him. And you can read his missionary timeline and journeys of he just bounced around like a pinball for a little while until there was an open door and God opens the door. And so everything's not cut and dried of, this doesn't mean God makes every decision for you. There's decisions God leaves to you to make, but you want to be led by him to make them his ways and to honor his will and his ways and his commands and his, what's good and pleasing for you out of his perfection and his creation of you. But if we're Christian, we desire to be led by his spirit. And, and I focus in on these words and focus in on this point because there's times in my life and there's times in your life where we're tempted to think God's supposed to follow me around. Like being a Christian means uh, I'll go to church and I'll trust God and I'll engage with him and God now come follow me around, right? And, and bless what I'm doing and God uh, give me the emotional capacity for this and God give me the money for this and God uh, help me deal with this and we kind of expect God to follow us around in our life and many people think being a Christian means uh, I lead God and God follows me. When being a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that I'm following God. I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm following Him. We're the ones who are His sons and daughters. That means we are led by His Spirit. You'll be able to see over the trajectory of your life, over the trajectory of someone's life, if it's marked by someone who's willing to follow God or who is only interested in God following them. And being a child of God who is someone who is led by the Spirit of God. He leads you. Number two, what do we see? Is being an adopted child of God means he hears you. Uh, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So that would be one way to relate to God as a slave and to relate to him out of fear. But God says, no, 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 no. You don't relate to me as a slave anymore. You don't relate to me out of fear because the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship you're not a servant you're in the family business and by him we cry Abba father all of Romans 8 was written in Greek so when the apostle Paul sat down to write it he wrote it in Greek all except for one word and all of Romans 8 is translated into English that we're reading today all except for one word and it's this Aramaic word Abba why is this meaningful? Why would Paul insert in one word from another language into this? It's powerful because this is the same word Jesus would have used to call on the Father. So when Jesus was walking around on earth through his relationship with God the Father, he'd use this word, which would get people's attention because he was in a Jewish culture where the Jews believed that God was far off, he was distant because he was holy, he was transcendent, and he's too holy, too holy for us, which is true. Uh, so much so that the Jews recognized this that they would not even write down his name. When it went to write down God's name, they would leave the vowels out of the name, out of reverence, out of respect, and then here comes 
along Jesus who's saying that he's one with God and he's using God's name and he's calling the Father Abba. If you go to Israel, you learn the first word of any Palestinian kid is this intimate term Abba, calling, calling their child dad, daddy, papa. So this distant, faraway God that everyone believed, there's no way we could be close to him. Jesus shows up and says, he's my Abba. The Apostle Paul writes this to say that the same closeness that Jesus had being one with God is the same closeness that God is bringing you into that you can cry out, Abba, Father, and he hears you. He will hear that from you because his spirit has moved into your life and the veil has been torn and you can have a closeness with God that really only Jesus should get, but he's earned it for you. Now, this is a miracle because I got to tell you, just generally speaking, when you get to know someone better, do you like them more or less? Uh, I'll tell you for me, I have learned that when people get to know me better, I am liked less, not more. And I have to pray for the people who, lo- who know me very well and have to live with me and be around me. And I pray that God, please give them patience for me. God, please help them forgive me. God, give them some margin for me today. And it's not in like a woe is me, self-deprecating way. It's just that when someone knows you very, very well, that means that they are, they're willing to forgive you very, very well. Can I get an amen somebody, right? Can we just be honest with ourselves today? And the fact that God knows every single corner and cobweb of my mind, my soul, my emotions, my heart, and my motives. And says, you can cry out to me, Abba, Father, and I hear from you. It's a miracle that only Jesus could make work for me. And God says, I want to hear from you. Call me Abba. If my kids came up to me, my two boys, and they called me Mr. Walter, uh, some of you might say, oh, wow, they're very respectful. And I'd say, that's not respectful at all. Stop that. Knock that off. If they came up to me and said, Pastor Ryland, uh, uh, we were wondering if we could, I I would say, boys, you are the only two people in the world that can call me dad. Call me dad. Call me dad. And God says, come to me. I am your father. Now we still come with respect and honor. We've talked about that many, many times. Coming with the respect that, that God is due, but we respect him as a father and he hears us. Number three, he assures you. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now notice with me, uh, two, two times the word spirit is used here, uh, but it's two different spirits. One is the capital S spirit. One is the lower uh, lowercase s spirit because this is God himself is God's spirit testifying with our our spirit he assures us this is powerful when you receive the spirit of adoption it's constantly reminding you that you're his it's why believers when you're going through a really difficult time and you fall and you stumble 
there's something in you reminding you that you're still God's and it's drawing you back to God. And it's because you're being reminded why God really loves you. I mean, do you love your kids because they work hard? Do you love your kids because they're cute? Do you love their kids, your kids because they obey? Do you love your kids because of what they can do for you? No, you love your kids because they're yours. Because they're your kids. And the Spirit of God is assuring us over and over again that he says, you're mine. And not just kids need this, we need that. I need this. Because there are days where I am overwhelmed. There are days that just stink. There are days that are sinful. There are days that that I struggle. There, there are days where I wonder, why am I doing all of this? And, and, and God says, I already approve of you. You're already mine. And his spirit speaks to my spirit that says, you are mine. Do not give up. I made a way for you. While you were still a sinner, I died for you. And many, many times we get caught in this rat race thinking the more we'll do, the more we'll impress God, the more we can be one with God. And God invites us to rest in his love that has been shared with us because of the work of Christ. And he assures us. Number four, lastly, he shares his inheritance with you. As an adopted child of God, he shares his inheritance with you. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, Verse 17 goes on, but it'll be our launching pad for next week's message. But if we are children, then we are heirs. God owns everything. This verse shares with us that it's all in Christ, and Christ is sharing it with us. Uh, Some of you have or will get hooked up with an incredible inheritance, or at least some inheritance from your family. Uh, Others of you will receive nothing, we'll get nothing from your family as an inheritance. Um, Either way, all of that inheritance burns up. And one day, you'll pass from this life to the next, and the only inheritance will matter is if you're getting one from God or not. It's an eternal eternal life as his son or daughter. Everything God has, he wants to share with you. Why? Because you're his. Because you received a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, that's my father. When Jesus was here, he referred to God as Abba, um, except for one time. Do you know the one time Jesus did not call the father Abba? It's while he was hanging from a cross. As he was taking into himself, into his flesh, all of our sin, all of our anger, all of our pride, all of our lust, all of our rebellion, all upon his flesh. His flesh was condemned. The the sin and every evil act of every murder, every rape, every abuse, every lie, it's the darkest day in human history. It's the most sinful day of all human history. All of our sin put on God, the God-man himself, on Christ. And he's on the cross bearing my sin, bearing my shame. And in that moment, he, do, he calls out to God. He does not call him Abba. He does not call him Father. God is holy and pure. He cannot be one with sin. He cannot taste sin, cannot look upon sin. And in that moment, the Father and the Son are not in fellowship with one another. And Jesus does not call out, cry out Abba. 
He prayed, quote from the Psalms that King David prayed, and he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment on the cross, Jesus was being forsaken, was being condemned for our sin, so that now there can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ. On the cross, Jesus was rejected so that you would not have to be rejected. On the cross, Jesus was disapproved and cursed, the scriptures say by the Father, so that you could be approved, so that you could be blessed. On the cross, Jesus could not say Abba so that for the rest of your life, you could cry out Abba and you could be known as a child of God. He went through all of that to make a way so that you could receive the spirit of adoption, that he could share his inheritance with you. But while we are all created in the image of God, not all of us are sons and daughters of God. Only those who rest, who come to the work of the cross and rest in it and receive mercy and grace and salvation there. Who let the work of the cross be counted for them there so that they can receive the spirit of adoption. Those are the children of God. Only those who say, God, I want to be led by you. I want what you did on the cross to count for me. It's for those who are willing to receive it. For all those who receive it will be called the children of God. Those who receive him are his sons and daughters. This is why Paul constantly prays and he constantly prays for Christians. He says, I wish they could just see it. I wish they'd get the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they'd get their, their heart eyes enlightened that they know the hope to which they are called so they can experience the glorious inheritance God has for his people in Christ. I mean, we've talked about a little bit about the Roman culture, Jewish culture today. Let's talk about our culture for a second. Our culture is obsessed with what we belong to. I, and we let everybody know what we belong to what we belong to. We belong to this school or that school, that sorority, that fraternity, this fan club, this fan group, belong to Chief's Kingdom, belong to this business, belong to this club, belong to this activity, belong to this family, this family name. But if you belong to the King of Kings, you are royalty. And if you belong to the God who created it all, God shares his glory with you, his inheritance with you. How do we know this? We know this because the cross is bloody and the tomb is empty. And will you bring yourself under to say, God, I want to live under the leadership, regardless of your relationship with your earthly father, would you say, God, I want to come under a relationship with my heavenly father, to be led by you, to have the assurance that you bring, that you can hear from me and I can hear from you, and to receive the inheritance and the work that you have for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you make it very clear that you want us to know you. And there are those here in this room right now, this weekend, that are opening their hearts up to you. There are those who have doubts, uh, but they want to settle in their minds once and for all. 
Romans 10.13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. It's a promise that you'll do your, your part. And so God, we want to be whoever's. We want to be a whoever who calls on the name of the Lord. Whoever believes will be saved. We want to be a whoever that believes. And so God, help us to receive you and to trust in you. And just pray these things in your own heart and mind, your own way right now. Just come to him and say, God, the best I know how, I'm putting my trust in you today. Say, God, I want to be a child of God. I want to live my life as a child of God. Say, God, give me new life. Guide me. Help me not to be afraid of you, but to love you and to see how you want to work in my life. Just pray to him to say, God, today I drive down this stake deeper into my heart of who you are, what you've done for me. And God, show me how I can live for you. Show me how I can submit to you. Show me how I can honor you. Show me how I can live a life that isn't trying to lead you around, but live a life where I am being led by you. Great God, Heavenly Father, perfect one. We love you, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.